Amen. And that would, that would be a song that Jeremiah would sing, You're Always There. This morning, I invite you to take a copy of God's Word and look with us to uh, this passage found in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1. The book of Jeremiah, chapter 1. Uh, if you open your Bibles in the middle, there's Psalm, turn right, go five books, and there's the book of Jeremiah. And we'll begin reading with verse 4. We're going to look at the whole chapter, but we're going to begin reading with verse 4. While you're turning there every year around September or October, I tell Mark the, the topics, I'm, I'm, the big topics I'm going to handle in the next year. And so last year, I told Mark in, in the summer I'll be doing Jeremiah. And I was a group of the pastors, and I made a comment next year. I'm going to be preaching on Jeremiah in the summer. And one of the guys said, why would you do that? I mean, that, that's a depressing book for the summer. He said, why would you preach that? God? I don't know. I mean, I, mean, I, I said, well, I felt God, like God wanted me to preach it. Who knew? All the things that would take place this year or even this week as we open this series up about when your world falls apart. Book of Jeremiah, chapter 1. Let's begin reading with verse 4. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. And then I said, Alas, O Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak because I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth because everywhere I send you, you, you shall go, and all the things I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord came to me saying, What do you see, Jeremiah? And I said, I see a rod of an almond tree. And then the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. And the word of the Lord came to me a second time, saying, What do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. And then the Lord said to me, Out of the north the evil will break forth of all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the families of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they will come and they will set each one his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem, and against all its walls around about, and against all the cities of Judah. I will pronounce my judgments on them concerning all their wickedness, whereby they have forsaken me and have offered sacrifices to other gods and worshiped the works of their own hands. Now, gird up your loins and arise and speak to them all which I have commanded you. Do not be dismayed before them, or I will dismay you before them. Now behold, I have made you today as a fortified city and as a pillar of iron and as a wall of bronze against the whole land to the kings of Judah, to his princes, to his priests, and to the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they will not overcome you, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Pray with me. Our Father, today as we open your word, and Father, as we begin this series about this man, Jeremiah, help us to understand him. Help us, Father, understand his calling, and help us understand, Father, what he had to do. And reveal to us, Father, what we need to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
In December 1944, the German forces made a massive surprise attack on the Allies' troops. Later came known as the Battle of the Bulge. Over 19,000 Americans were killed in a month-long battle. And on December 16th, the Germans attacked with over 200,000 troops and tanks, hundreds of tanks, along a 75-mile uh, front. During that time, our forces were weak. Those who had experience were exhausted, but we had a lot of green troops who had never been in a battle before. And yet, they met the attack with resistance. There were many unsung heroes during that time. One was a 19-year-old colorblind draftee from Baltimore named Albert Durego. Durego had never fired a bazooka in his life. Yet on December 19th of that year, the superiors were looking for a volunteer to take a bazooka and go after German tanks. Durego and another 19-year-old, Roland Seaman, said, we'll do it. Durego didn't even know how to load the bazooka, so the other soldiers had to load it, that particular type of bazooka. He went down the hill. He saw the German tanks. He knew you hit them from behind. He fired and destroyed a tank. He came back up. They loaded again. He went back. He fired destroyed another tank, and that's what he continued to do. On the seventh anniversary of the Battle of the Bulge, Durego spoke. 2014. He said, believe it or not, I didn't even think about volunteering for the task. It was something that had to be done, and we did it. I never considered myself brave. Somebody had to do it, and I was there. I never considered myself brave, but somebody had to do it. This morning, we're beginning a series of sermons for the summer, looking at a man who was very brave. Now, he may not have thought he was brave, but you're going to find out how brave he was. There was a task that had to be done, and he did it. He is called the weeping prophet. According to legend, he was wailing even at birth. But the reason he was crying wasn't because he was a coward, not because he was afraid. He was weeping because he knew what was coming. God revealed to him the plans of Judah. And he looked around, he saw the people falling away from God, and he began to be sorrowful. And he began to preach, and no one listened to him. Jeremiah was a prophet. He was a prophet of his time. He lived and died in a century of crisis. Go back and look at the history. I mean, what he faced, he faced from opposition to oppression. He faced persecution to peril. He faced personal defeat to discouragement. He went through all the emotions, and we're going to see that in this series. Now, I have to admit, this is not an upbeat boot, uh, upbeat book. I mean, th this is hard to read sometimes because of the message. It's hard to read sometimes because it's not in chronological order. It's hard to read sometimes. It's not even in topical order. So it's kind of hard to figure out. But it's a challenging book because it gives us a theme. Here's Jeremiah, a prophet for 40 years, and his world is going to be turned upside down. At the beginning of the book, Assyria is really in power. By the end of the book, Babylon will be in power. Beginning of the book, the Jews are in the land. By the end of the book, the Jews are deported to Babylon. At the beginning of the book, Jer Jeremiah was in Jerusalem. At the end, he's in Egypt. Beginning of the book, David's throne was occupied. By the end of the book, the throne was empty. For 40 years, Jeremiah preached, and no one listened. No one cared. No one believed him. 
But Jeremiah is called to serve God. He watched his beloved nation decline and die, and it was difficult. In fact, you're going to see the pains in his words. Don't we understand it? Just this week, we watched on the news 19 children killed in a school. This week, we read about the many abuse cases in churches across the Southern Baptist Convention. This week, we heard about more shortages of supplies, even baby formula. This week, we read more about inflation, maybe coming of recession. This week, we read more about racism, not just uh, especially in, in the West toward Native Americans. And we look around, and if we're honest, we're wondering, God, are you judging us, or are you about to judge us? That's what Jeremiah is going through. During World War II era, there was a man named Jan Garski. Jan Garski lived in Poland. Jan Garski saw what was about to happen to the Jews. He saw the Holocaust coming. He belonged to the Poland underground state. That was a resistant fighter for the Germans and also the Russians. One day he went into disguise. He went to Warsaw Ghetto. He, he saw where they had captured over 400,000 Jews. He, he saw the trains coming with the supplies. He saw the trains coming with more Jews. And so he decided to warn people. So he went and told the British government about what was happening, that the Jews were being taken and they're going to be killed. He talked even to the president of the United States, FDR, and told him what was happening. He said, if you could just bomb the, the railroad tracks, it would slow down the massacre, uh, the Holocaust of the Jews in Poland. But they didn't do it because really they didn't believe the stories at that time. Now, later on, they did that strategy, bombing the rail tracks to keep them from taking the Jews to the Holocaust. Jan was angered all of his life. Years later, he was given a speech, and he said, no one would listen to me. They could have stopped the massacre if they would just listen to me. I was an eyewitness, and no one listened. Jeremiah is a prophet, been given a vision from God. And no one would listen to him. So this morning, as we look at this chapter, I want us to look at three things. First, the prophet that was called. Number two, the promises that were made. And, th th and third, the prediction that was given. First, the prophet that was called. We, we see it beginning in, in verse 1. Jeremiah is the son of Hakiah. And he was a priest. He was a very famous priest. Because he was the one, and we find Second Kings was going through rummaging in the temple. He found some old documents, and the documents were the law of God. And he gave them to the king, the king Josiah. And Josiah began to make reforms based on this. And so Jeremiah's father was kind of important because he set in, in motion the reforms of Josiah. And it says that Jeremiah, that he was called in the days of Josiah. And then in verse 3, it says he continued his ministry until the times of Zedekiah. And what that means is, for, as I said, for 40 years, he's going to be a prophet. For 40 years, he's going to proclaim what God wanted him to say. And for 40 years, he watched the sin of his people. He watched the whole nation filled with iniquity and immorality and indifference and impurity and idolatry. And God calls him to be a prophet. 
And we see this in verse 5. Look what it says. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now, that had to surprise Jeremiah because his dad was a priest. And so Jeremiah assumed he was going to be a priest, but here's God calling him to be a prophet. And priests and prophets are different. I mean, uh, uh, the ministries are completely different. So, for example, uh, a, a priest's duties are predictable. You, you just follow the script. You follow the law. You follow the instruction. If you're a prophet, every day was different. You had no idea what God was going to tell you to do. The ministry of a, a prophet was so different that there was always excitement and also dread. A priest basically worked preserving the past, maintaining the sanctuary ministry. A prophet ministry was to change the present. The priest would deal with the externals. A prophet would deal with the heart, the internals. In fact, 66 times we, we find the word heart in the book of Jeremiah. Priests belonged to a special tribe. You knew who were the priests. A prophet could come from any tribe, but you didn't know if he was telling the truth. And here's God saying to Jeremiah, I have appointed you a prophet. But notice how he says it, beginning in verse 5. He says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. He said, I formed you. In other words, God says to Jeremiah, before birth, I had developed you. I've given to you your gifts and your talents and your abilities. He said, not only that, I knew you, verse 5. That word means to know the person, know the essence of the person. God says, even before you were born, Jeremiah, I knew you personally. I knew who you were and who you are. Then he said, I consecrated you. Some some translations use the word sanctified. He said, in the womb, I've called you. I, I began to work on you even before you were born to do my work. Then he said, I have appointed you as a prophet. In other words, I am calling you to do what I have made you. I am calling you to do what I've created you to do. Now, this call is very important because it implies, Jeremiah, if you say, if you say no, I'm not going to ask again. See, sometimes God will call us to do something. We may delay, and God will give us a second chance, third chance, fourth chance. But sometimes God will call us to do a task, and if we say no at that moment, God will not use us again. Implied here is that. Jeremiah, I have appointed you, and if you don't do it, i got to get someone else. This call is important. So how does Jeremiah respond? Verse 6, he says, I can't do it. He gives two reasons. Number one, he says, inability. He says, alas, O Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak. Now, Moses said the same words, but Moses had a speech impediment. The words he used mean speech impediment. What Jeremiah is saying, I don't have the ability to speak. I don't know how to do this. You know the story. I'm more like Moses. I grew up with a speech impediment. No one thought I would preach. No no one thought anyone would ever listen to me. And and some of you still think that. I can tell. But, But that's not what Jeremiah is saying. Jeremiah is saying, I don't know how to do this. This is beyond my ability. I cannot do this. You know, there's old, old preachers, another generation used to say, I heard this all, growing, all the time growing up. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And God is saying, Jeremiah, it has nothing to do with your abilities. I'm going to give you the abilities. He also says immaturity. He says, I'm a youth. Now, we don't know what that means. It probably means teenager. It could even be somebody in their 20s. All we know is in this time period, if you weren't 30 years old, most people are not going to listen to you. And here's Jeremiah hearing the call of God. Lord, I can't do this. 
I, I, I'm not, I'm not, I have the inability to it, the immaturity to it. I can't do it. And God says, you don't understand. I have called you. So what does God do? He gives them promises. Look at verse 7, the promises that were made. He says, do not say that I am youth, because everywhere I go, I send you. You shall go, and all that I command you, you shall speak. Then he begins. He says, first of all, you'll have the presence of God, verse 8. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. God says, Jeremiah, I'm going to be with you. You're not going to do this alone. In fact, you're never going to be alone serving me. In fact, there's a condition of this promise. Go back and look at it. What God is saying, if you do what I'm asking you to do, I'm going to be with you every step of the way. When God gives us an assignment, he doesn't give us the roadmap. A lot of times he gives us the journey, and then he walks with us step by step. He says, I will be with you. I'll have my presence with you. But not only that, he says, I will provide for you the provisions of God. Verse 9, then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. He said, Jeremiah, you, you think you can't speak? You think that inability is going to hurt you? I will provide for you. I'm going to give you the words. I'm going to give you all that you need to do my task. He also said, I'll give you my protection. For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Jeremiah, you're going to have my presence with you. You're going to have my provisions with you. But not only that, you're going to have my protection. Now, there's something funny to this to me. Here's what God says. Jeremiah, I am going to deliver you. That means he's going to be in a situation he's going to need delivering. You follow? Something's going to happen to Jeremiah to be delivered. I wonder if that's what Jeremiah heard. It's kind of like we were in Zambia one time. And from our cabins to, to the bathroom, there's this path. And, and they were telling us about the path and, and how to get there. And, and I still remember the words they said. They just stay on the path and you won't have any problems. Just watch out for the snakes. What? All I heard was snakes. So that's, I mean, I missed the first part. What? what, what? I can almost imagine Jeremiah said, what, what? Deliver? If you're going to be delivered, it means you're in a situation. Jeremiah is going to have the protection of God. And we're going to see he is going to be delivered. Jeremiah is going to be arrested. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be ridiculed. He's going to be ostracized. And everyone's going to hate him. And God says, don't worry, I'm still going to deliver you. What he's saying to Jeremiah is an incredible promise. He said, if I give you a task to, to do, you're going to do it. There's no power on earth that will stop you. That's what he's saying. What's his task? Well, look at verse 9. He says, you're going to pluck up, break down, destroy, and overthrow. In other words, you're going to turn up everything upside down. You're going to tear down the structure. You're going to knock it over. You're going to completely ruin it with your preaching. And then I'm going to build and plant. Jeremiah, your message is to tell the people what's coming. But I'm going to be with you. And then God gives the predictions that is given. The prediction beginning in verse 13 following is the destruction. God is predicting there's destruction coming. Now, you have to understand a little history. At the time Jeremiah wrote this, they were surrounded by enemies. You had the Egypt, Egypt on one side. You had Assyria on one side. You had the Babylonians on one side. And God is saying you're going to be destroyed. Look at verse 11. 
He said, what do you see, Jeremiah? He said, I see a rod of an almond tree. And the Lord said, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. An almond tree in the Holy Land, that's what blooms first. It usually blooms in January. It means spring is coming. Today, if we see a robin, we say, oh, spring is here. They look for the almond. Before that, the, the almond tree looks dead. You don't know it's alive until it buds. Now, the word for almond tree is almost identical in the Hebrew word to be watching. Here's what God is saying. I've been watching, and everybody thought I've been asleep. I've been watching Judah, and they've not been listening to me. They've been falling into their sin. They think I'm asleep, but just like the almond tree is going to bloom, I'm going to be awake. I've been awake this whole time. I know exactly what's going on, Jeremiah. I've told the people, if you don't repent, I'm bringing judgment to you. They know this. I've been saying this over and over and over. I am watching, and I'm going to accomplish my will. Then in verse 13, he says, what do you see? He said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. And God says, you're right. There's something that's going to happen in the north. There's an evil that's developing there. There's an evil that's coming to Judah. That evil is going to judge my people. God didn't cause the evil, but God is going to use the evil to bring judgment to Judah. You see, throughout the history of Judah, they always made deals with countries. They didn't trust God, and so they made a deal with Egypt. Hey, would you protect us? Then they made a deal with Assyria. Hey, would you protect us? And God says, you should have followed me. But something is coming. Now, he's talking about Babylon. No one believed Jeremiah. Babylon, what are you talking about, Jeremiah? We're, we're concerned about Assyria, and you're talking about Babylon? No, it's, they're coming. Verse 15, he says, they're going to set their throne at the gate. And that day, if you conquered a country, and you really want to uh, make them feel bad about it, you would put a throne at the city gate. It means utterly destroyed you. That's what Babylon did to Jerusalem. God is saying, judgment is coming. This nation is going to fall. Jerusalem is going to fall. The temple is going to fall. You say, wait, 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 wait. But this is the people of God. How could God do this? God told them, if you reject me, judgment's coming. If you don't repent of your sins, judgment is coming. In verse 16, he, he, of all the sins, he tells the worst one. That's idolatry. I will pronounce my judgment on them concerning their wickedness, whereby they have forsaken me and have offered sacrifices to other gods and worshiped the works of their own hands. God says, of all the sins you're committing, the one he mentions is idolatry. You are not worshiping me, you're worshiping idols. Now, you have to understand something in this, day, this time period. They were going to the temple to worship. They were reading the scriptures daily. They were praying daily. But they were adding idols to their lives. They were trying to worship God, but they were also trying to worship idols. In fact, they were bringing idols into the temple. And God is saying, do you not see what you're doing? You're worshiping me, but you're worshiping idols. And if you're worshiping idols, that means you're not worshiping me. Don't we do that? Don't we put idols before God? You cannot worship God and politics at the same time. You cannot worship God in your possessions at the same time. You cannot worship God in pleasures at the same time. You cannot worship God in people at the same time. You cannot worship God in your personal gifts and talents at the same time. Here's a simple clue. If you have a choice between God and something and you choose something, that is your idol. 
And God is saying to the people of Judah, you've been putting me aside. You think you've been going through the motions by worshiping and reading and praying, but your heart's not in it. You are following idols. And what we're going to find out in this series, when a nation turns their back on God, the people begin to exploit one another. The rich take advantage of the poor. There are injustices in the court system. People will turn. People will lie. People will cheat. People will be looking only for themselves. They will take advantage of the temple. In fact, Jeremiah is the one who said the temple is a den of robbers. By the way, Jesus said the same thing later. And Jeremiah is saying this this message, destruction is coming, and no one's listening. Look at verse 17. He says, arise and speak. Verse 18, I have made you today as a fortified city and as a pillar of iron and walls of bronze against the whole land, to the kings of Judah, to his princes, to his priests, and to the people of the land. Jeremiah, get ready. Get ready. You're going to be a pillar of iron. Now, a pillar means something that doesn't need support. You're going to stand alone. You're going to be like a bronze wall. There's no such thing as a bronze wall in this time period. You had bronze gates. I mean, the idea of a bronze wall means something indestructible. And God says, Jeremiah, you're going to be indestructible, unstoppable. Why are you going to need that? Because, Jeremiah, everyone's going to be against you. The kings, the officials, the priests, and the people will be against you. The political world's going to be against you. The religious world's going to be against you. And your friends are going to be against you. You got to get ready. Verse 19, he said, they will fight against you. That word fight is a military term. It means total war. They're going to come after you with everything they have because they're not going to like your message. But Jeremiah, you're going to remain. By the way, a little trivia. Jeremiah's ministry lasted longer than the walls of Jerusalem. But he has a message they don't want to hear. Judgment is coming. Later on in the story, Jeremiah is going to tell the people to surrender to their enemies. They thought he was a traitor. Jeremiah answered the call, and as a result, maybe became the most unpopular prophet in history. Measured by human success, he was a failure. Measured by the will of God, he was a great success. It's not easy to stand alone. It's not easy to resist the crowd, to be out of step with the philosophies of the day. But Jeremiah did every day for 40 years. And the person who stands with God will always prevail. One with God is always a majority. Now, if you look at our history of our nation, in the 1700s, there was a crisis in the colonies. Many of the colonists came to this country for religious freedom. But something happened when they got here. The land was so prosperous, they stopped relying upon God. They started becoming wealthy. And wealth brought complacency. And what happened, they came here for religious freedom, and then all of a sudden they stopped going to church. And not only that, they began to sin. In fact, it was so bad, many of the preachers in the first, in the 1700s were not even Christian. They just wanted someone to speak. They didn't care about the qualifications. And even before we became a nation, we are about to fall. And then God used a man named Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards in 
Enville, Connecticut, preached a message. He preached before, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Maybe the most famous sermon in American history. Sometimes they still read it and study it in school. They have to understand something about Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards was marked by physical weakness. He was a very frail man. His vision was so bad, for him to read, he had to hold the manuscript to his face. So he, he read a manuscript, and this is how he preached. That's all you saw of Jonathan Edwards. But his voice was so weak, many times you couldn't hear him, unless you were in the front. He was a great intellect, but he spoke in a monotone like this. Sometimes people couldn't hear him. And yet, that sermon, God came. And people began to repent and fall on their face asking God to forgive them. A revival took place. That revival led to another revival, and it led to another revival, and it was called the Great Awakening. God took a man and changed the nation before it became a nation. It happened once. It can happen again. But the only way it's going to ever happen, we have to be willing to follow our Lord God. And we have to be willing to put away our idols and follow Jesus alone. Will you do that today? If you're online, you've never given your life to Christ. Will you give your life to him today by admitting you're a sinner and believing that Jesus died for you and giving him everything? Just text the word today, 270-398-5005, and a minister will give you a call. For those of us who are here, if you've never given your life to Christ, will you do so today? As we begin singing, just come to the front, talk to me or one of the ministers. Or maybe you're a believer here, and you realize you have an idol. You've been putting something before God on decision after decision after decision. Will you privately or publicly just say, Lord, I give it up. I'm going to serve you and you alone. Will you stand and pray with me? Father, as we look back at Jeremiah, as he's preaching for 40 years that judgment is coming, no one believed him because they thought, since they were the called, you wouldn't judge them. And yet, Father, throughout your word, you tell us the opposite. You tell us those whom you love, you chastise. Father, you tell us that we are accountable to you, and there's a day of a reckoning, a day of judgment, a day of accountability. And so, Father, we ask you today to prepare us for that day. Will you forgive us? Forgive us, Father, for putting anything before you. Father, forgive us for going through the motions. Father, forgive us for pretending that we are believers when we're not. Father, whatever decision that we need to make today, let us make it in your name. In Jesus' name, amen.